is a place where sin and shame are powerless. What have we been talking about for the last month? That place. Asking the questions, why is the church weak? Why are believers weak? We know that it is because, you know, you go to the doctor, Brother Randy had a thing. Well, I better not share that. Is that okay? He shared something. I'm not going to give everything, but, you know, the, the guy said, you know, you got something you need to get checked out. Now, had that guy said nothing to him, that would be wrong, wouldn't it? He told him something, and it's nothing, you know, too serious, but, you know, it was a, it was a checkup for work, but it's like one of these deals, had the doctor not said anything, that would be wrong not to point it out. And so it's good to know where problems lie, and it's good to be able to identify them, but the real question is, what do you do about it? Amen? Because if you do nothing about it, then the problem stays, it persists, and eventually will kill you. And it's the same thing with sin. And it says, uh, where my heart has peace with God and forgiveness. I want to ask you this morning, does your heart have peace with God? And if it don't, that can be solved here today. That can be taken care of before you leave this place. And forgiveness. See, the forgiveness in the song comes afterwards. Freely you receive, freely you give. So if God's give you something, then you give it away. You pay it on down. That's what you do. That's how it works. That's how, that's how we do what the Bible teaches us. So today is part five of Overcomers. And the main, the main title is Be the Change. Remember, I've been telling you to do the book. Well, now it's time to be the change. And we're going to have some good highlights and enlightenment going on for us today. I'm going I'm to give you a verse, real, I mean, not a verse, but a, just a quote, and I want it to kind of sit in the middle of your head right now and in your spirit, just kind of chew on it, mull over it, meditate. <clears throat> we kind of brought this up the other night, I think, in Wednesday night, but I'm talking about Navy SEALs. Anybody know, not know what a Navy SEAL is? If you need me to explain, raise your hand, I will. They're on movies now, they got TV shows about them. Uh, History Channel will talk about Bud's week or Bud's training, all of that. But the Navy SEALs, you know, they're the guys that went and got Bin Laden. They're the guys that saved Captain Phelps when he was on that boat. You remember they told him in a little raft, riggedy raft thingy and uh, almost like a miniature sub. And they, from the back of a, of a carrier, was able to take out the guys that were watching him, three different people, three different men shooting, three different shots simultaneously on a little raft that's doing this and miss the good guy, hit the bad guys. These fellows are where it's at. The best of the best. That's exactly right. How are they so effective? Okay. That's a part of it. Let me make that's, They work as a team. Oh, that's good. You guys are getting this. I see this stuff starting to soak in. The last person a seal thinks about is himself. I want you to chew on that for a moment. I'm going to do just a quick, quick recap. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, what weakens us spiritually as individuals. This, in turn, extends to us as a corporate body, which is the church. We ask the question, why aren't we as effective as the early church in the book of Acts who turned their world upside down? That's what the Bible says, so we know it's true, right? Amen? It's written down. It's true. Can't, can't argue it. Shouldn't argue. You can do whatever you want, but shouldn't argue it. 
we've discovered that uh, we do have an individual relationship with Jesus and it is very important. But one thing that hasn't been stressed as much probably in the 20th century is just how important it is that we're also a corporate body. We're together. Christ has one bride he's coming back which is made up of many different parts and that's each one of you if you're saved. If you're not saved, he wants you to be a part of that body. And so when the actions of sinful actions of some can actually affect the whole body. We've covered that in Scripture, so I'm not going to back out and hash it out. If you weren't here, want to talk about it, we'll sit down and talk about it. We've been looking at Paul's dealings with the church at Corinth. We discovered that he was trying to show them what was weakening them spiritually and what to do about it. See, it's one thing to sit and talk about Fox News and all this other stuff that's going on and identify all the problems in the world because there are plenty of them and you don't have to be real smart to figure them out. But where does it end? It ends right there. We don't go on to the place of solutions. It's the same thing for us as believers, as individuals, or as a church. Identify the problems is fine, but what do you do about it? And the Bible shows us what to do about it. He teaches us how to do about it, and I told you in the beginning. It will be tight at sometimes, but in the end, ultimately, you will be satisfied. As long as we do the book. If we don't do the book, then... I'm going to waste about another three or eight, eight, eight or ten weeks of your time and you'll be in the same place. And that's not what we need. Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon. And he's coming back for a bride that's made herself ready. That is, we in agreement on that? If we ain't made ourselves ready, listen here, you get saved today, you don't know nothing about the Bible and a car kills you on the way home, you're going to heaven. You've been saved for 25 years and God's been showing you stuff in your life he's trying to fix and you said no. Now you're living in willful disobedience. The question is now, where are you going to be at? You see the lie that goes around in the world is the only difference between the world and church people or Christians is, is the Christians are saved. That should never be. There should be a big difference in believers and unbelievers. How we act. We should have the character of God. And we spend our lives trying to grow into that. That's what he does with us. If he don't cast us out with the dirty water, the baby's water, then neither should we. We help each other to grow. One example that we use is communion. Remember Paul said to them that they were weak and sick and dying. And the condition of their hearts was self-centered and it affected the church as a whole. He said some of you are doing this, and many are weak and sick and dying. I used the example last week. I asked you, is America in trouble spiritually? And it was unanimous yes. I asked you then, why? Because the spiritual leader is weak, and the spiritual leader, by the way, is the church. Because we ain't laying hands on people and they're getting immediate healings. Oh, we've got testimonies. You remember me asking you, calling around, asking you to pray for Sweetie's Uncle Roy? And man, he was unresponsive. They'd do CPR in him for like 30 minutes. He may be coming home soon. He's up and talking. They don't know what happened. It's a good place for a praise and an amen. He's still answering prayer. Still answering prayer. 
But so many times we have a lot of junk going on and it doesn't seem that it it affects us. And too many times the church doesn't look any different than the world. Their condition was that they were self-centered. Last Sunday night we looked at his direction to them about a man, a member in the church living in sexual immorality. He had some pretty tough words for those of you who were here or those who have been able to listen to it online, didn't he? He got right straight with them. And, man, I tell you what, if Paul was here today, he might have to close all the churches. There wouldn't be many people hanging around because he got tight with them. But it wasn't just Paul's words. It's written in the Bible, and if it's written in the Bible, therefore it's God's word. Paul said it. Paul wrote it. Actually, probably Luke wrote it. That's a fight that scholars like to have. They'll they'll spend months doing that, seeing who's right. But that's about a self-centered attitude right there, too, by the way. It's in the Bible. That's all I need. If it says Paul said it, cool. It's in the Word. God gave it to him. came from him. Enough said. So anyhow, it was God's directions. And the more Paul loved this church and the more that he gave direction, the less he was loved. We saw that in Scripture. He loved the Lord more than himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone through losing friends, losing relationships, going to jail, getting beat up. All of these things, he fought the good fight. Remember the Bible said he fought the good fight. That was a part of fighting the good fight to take the truth, the truth which will set you free. He took that truth out. We've learned that looking the other way and doing nothing is not really love at all. It's really self-centeredness because I don't want you to think bad about me or I don't want the high tithe payers to lead the church. All these kinds of things. All those things come into play. You know, we don't want to offend this one because it might offend that one. Well, we, told, we covered offense back this fall, so we know that's not a good place to go. That's a trap of the devil. Stay away from it. Don't pick up other people's offenses. Have your own. See if y'all paying attention. The answer to that is, uh-uh, don't have your own. Don't be offended. We've got no rights to be offended. We've learned that uh, it's wrong not to confront sinful issues only to have the person to think that they're in good standing with God and to find out at a different when it's too late on the day of judgment. We're scared of such words of who are you to judge me. Don't you judge me. We're afraid of those things, aren't we? See, judgment belongs to God and Him alone. But warning is our responsibility as we are led by the Spirit of God. I don't need to tell Brother Randy to stay away from sticking needles in his arm, putting stuff in him. He don't do that, so I don't have to worry about telling him that. And the Spirit's not going to tell me to tell him that. But he might tell me something he needs to hear. That's what I told Sister Francis last week. We can feed them 10,000 gallons of soup if we want, but if we don't give them a piece of truth, we don't have to preach a message, but if the Spirit leads, a piece of truth is going to set them free. The soup gets me in the door and lets us have a good relationship, but at some point the conversation has to be had. The condition of the church is because the conversations have not been had. Okay? That's the issue. So... So judgment just belongs to him and him alone. Isn't it amazing? Now you guys have been there because I've been there. You're going down the road 75 and a 55. Now you're ready to get thrown into jail and lose your license, right? Ain't that how the law reads pretty much? 
But the cop pulls over, and by the way, he's one of the, the good cops. You know why he's the good cop? Because he walked up and said, man, you need to slow down. Where's the fire? They use all those kinds of terms. They look at you, see you're okay, and they say, you know what, have a nice day, but slow down. He's the good cop because he lets you go, right? It's the bad cop that writes you a ticket because what's he doing? Well, if you wasn't speeding, he wouldn't be pulling you over speeding. There's plenty of other people that are breaking law. He don't have to pick on you. But it's amazing to me how... Uh, it's amazing to me how that uh, people of God, people of Christ, preachers or other believers, by the way, maybe, it's amazing to me how when you give a warning, you're mean, you're self-righteous, who are you to judge me, all those things. You know why? Because we don't want to face we don't ask those questions of ourselves, and we certainly don't want to face the answers. That's our flesh trying to keep us to be fleshly, okay? So that's the thing we're looking at here. Whenever somebody's giving you warning that's going to save you from eternal damnation, you would think you'd be very happy and say, oh, that's a good Christian too. Not just the good cops that give the warnings, because see, you and I can't judge anyone. If we hold judgment against someone, we ain't right with God. He has nothing to do with us. Meaning I'm not going to have anything to do with you because of this, that, or the other thing. Right? That's what the Bible teaches us. So let's get started on be the change. See, the last person that a Navy SEAL thinks about is himself. That's one of the things that they do. They go into the mission that they have. They don't go in with, well, you know, eight of us could probably get killed out of this group on this mission. It's a very high-risk mission. They don't go in with that idea. They go in with the idea that 100% of us are going in and 100% of us are coming out. And I think more highly of the guy here, here, all the rest of the group, than I think of myself. That's how they operate. That's how they do business. It's all for one and one for all. So that's, they're not worried about, okay, shots are coming in, it's getting hot, I'm going to duck under this bridge. No, if my buddy's out here shooting at those bad guys that's causing this, I'm going to join him. We're going to get the job done. If he gets hit, he's coming home. I'm bringing him home with me. If we get hit, our buddies are bringing us home. So they have this united spirit about them. And, and folks, there's something about that. Look at the armor of God in Ephesians 6. The armor of God in Ephesians 6 has nothing covering the rear. It's all forward-facing. We're supposed to march with Jesus, ain't it? We ain't supposed to be looking back. We're not supposed to be looking back. If you're fighting yesterday's battle that ain't here no more, you're walking backwards. You're actually facing the devil. You can't see what's going on. And so the armor that he gives us is forward-facing because we're advancing on the enemy. Amen. That's what the church should be doing. We're advancing on the enemy, not him advancing on us. And the reason we don't have to worry about our backs because if we do it the way the Bible says, I don't have to worry about my back because Danny's got my back. I got Danny's back. Ken's got Danny's back in my back. We got his back. You see how it works? We have each other's backs. And that's why these people are such an elite group and can get done what they need to do. But it is not something 
It's not something or an attitude in them that they can teach them. You cannot teach somebody to be bold. You can't do it. I can teach you how to shoot a gun. I can teach you how to do demolition, which is what Bud's training is, right? Bud's training. Bud's training is what these guys do. That's how they weed out. It's basic underwater demolition seal. Seal stands for sea, air, and land. The training that they go through weeds out the weak ones. 90% of the people that start in Bud's training wash out. It's a two-week. Two-week here, two-week here, two-week here. They can't do it. That way when they put a unit together, they follow orders. Stupid order, they don't worry about a stupid order. That's the order. We're following what the boss said. Because he's probably see something or knows something I don't. They weed them out. That's what happens. The weak get weeded out in Bud's training. That's what happens. See, one weak and lazy or incompetent member compromises the entire unit. If we as a church look at it the same way, it's a little bit easier to go to Bob and say, Bob, this is sin in your life. We want to help you with it, but you know what? It's weakening you, and it's weakening now your family, and it's weakening your, your buddy over here that don't want to say anything to you because you don't want to lose the relationship, but yet he ain't doing you any favors because the enemy blinds us, blinds us from seeing truth. Then what he does? He comes to kill, steal, and destroy and so if he can get us at one another, if he can get us doing our own little things and heading in 40 different directions, that's exactly what the devil wants and it ain't what God wants. So we need to be like the seals. See, our preaching and teaching should flesh out this attitude in us. Once we become believers and we have the divine nature of God, which we talked about a few weeks back that he puts in us when we're saved, that's something that's there. That's something that will come out. And as we go through the word, like we're talking about good teaching and applying and doing the book, that kind of an attitude, that kind of a mind frame will come out. Some of you guys that's been in the army understand that. You show up at boot camp, their job is to break you down. And then build you back up the way they want you. Some people wash out of that. Thank God a lot of them don't or we wouldn't have a country. Amen. We wouldn't have a nation today if it wasn't for the men of the armed services and women. So you, do, you look at the early church leaders, Peter and Paul. Man, those guys, they brought it straight. They brought what needed to be done. They gave to the people what they needed. But many of us only want to be encouraged and uplifted rather than be challenged. Your life as a Christian will be ever-changing until the day you die if you're holding on to the Lord because He's working on you. And that means we're going to be challenged. My job as a pastor, your job as, as believers and fellow brothers and sisters is to challenge one another. I used to run in, in baseball. I used to run with a guy, John Lawson. Man, that guy was fast as a rabbit. And man, some days when we were running sprints, I could beat him by a nose, and some days he was beating me by a nose, but by us running against each other, not so much as competition to see who's better, it was making us both better. Iron sharpens iron. Isn't that biblical? I think that's in there somewhere. I believe it is. So let's look at being the change. You see, our actions could affect others. If we don't believe it, look at America. There's some strong churches out here, but there are so many today that are just so weak and got their own agendas. If we would come together as one army, imagine what a difference we can make in this world. 
We wouldn't be worried about what Fox News is talking about. We wouldn't worry about what Donald Trump is doing or what President Obama did or you, you pick one. They ain't the problem. The problem is happening here in the hearts of the people upon the face of this earth and it's our job to do what is right and to take the truth to them. And at some point, we do have to have that hard conversation. Amen? If we don't want to have it, then what are we doing? So that's what he gives us. There will be no change if we do absolutely nothing different. And you could be the change. I could be the change. And if it doesn't start with you and me, where is it going to start? We're past the days of putting it off on someone else. You take a young girl who was unruly and wild. I'm going to pick on your girls for a bit. Can I do that? Say amen so I'll know that I'm all right. So otherwise I have to pick on the guys. She's a little unruly. She's a little wild. Maybe parties a little bit too much. Take some foolish chances in life but then something happens to her she finds love I want you to put this in the picture of a believer she finds love and now all of a sudden she, she gets married she got her a dude man alright and that dude and that gal get together and they have babies got a family now, I'm telling my story this is my picture right here okay Oh, if you only knew, you'd never listen to me again. But Jesus does. He saw fit to say, get up and talk, boy. So I did. When love comes into this girl's life, she realizes now that foolishness, crazy decisions, being unruly, it ain't just going to affect her. It's going to affect her husband and her babies, her children. And that love changes something that's exactly how we should be we can pick out anything we want in the Bible we, there's a million things we can pick out that probably somebody's in here dealing with right now and we got to quit looking and taking the big sins and the little sins no we need to call it what it is call it sin and we got to deal with it otherwise it affects the people around you well, I'm still eating good. Okay, good. But it affects the people around us in the fact that now it affects our, our, our strength. See, God don't bless us. He ain't going to sit and bless us in junk. Otherwise, we have this false sense of being okay, and he ain't going to do that. He loves us too much. Just like my kids. You know, my kids play in the road. I tell them, get out of the road. They don't get out of the road. You got to go get the switch. The time Ryan got the switch, it was a log this big, and he's dragging it out of the woods when I told him to get a switch. Told my brother about that this week. He got to see him, but you got it to go to the next level. You got to go to the next step so that it comes in. Why? Because you're trying to save their lives. And that's what we're doing as a church. Not only are we trying to reach the lost, but we're trying to get through this mess together. Amen? We're supposed to be doing this together. And ain't they sometimes, come on, let me get a witness out of somebody, ain't they sometimes you get a little bit weak spiritually? Yeah. If you don't fix it, it starts to roll over into the wife or the husband. It rolls over into the kids. It rolls over into the church. It affects us, and now we are ineffective in this community. And most of it, and we're going to get deeper, way, way deeper in this, I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint. It's called idolatry. 
biggest idol that's ever going to push you around. It ain't some statue somewhere. It's the guy you look at in the mirror. Self-worship. Self-worship will not humble itself. Self-worship will not be able to receive the truth. It won't be able to handle the hard conversation. It'll run and leave first. That's what happens. That's where we're going deeper later on. But I got to move. We have to love each other as deeply as this mother does. 1 Corinthians 10 and 23. He's like, man, thank God he's getting to some, to some scriptures. Yes, we are. 1 Corinthians 10 and 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. That means lift up. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Huh. Philippians 2, three and, uh, two, chapter 2, verse 3, 4, and 5. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Is that happening in the society that we live in today? Let's be honest. Is it happening? No. Is it happening inside of the churches, inside of homes? Not a lot. It's about me. How's it going to affect me? How's this going to work out for me? Let each of you look on, not, out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we're saved by him, if he lives in us by the Holy Ghost, then that's the kind of mind that we're going to have. I think more highly of you, Brother Eddie, than I do myself. That's where I'm supposed to be. That's what the Bible teaches, amen? Okay, so we're not pointing out drinking and drugging and whoring, are we, right here? We're talking about something that actually is a sin if we don't do what he tells us. So if I'm not thinking more highly of you than I do myself, or if you do me than of yourself, then are we not living in a place of sin? Now have we not identified something that is causing us as a body of believers to be weak? Amen. Because it's true. That is what he is showing us here. You see, this is the same mindset that Jesus had. Otherwise, whenever he was in the garden, getting ready to face what he was going to face, yes, he did ask the Father, let this cup pass for me. Well, that seems selfish. He's thinking, if there's another way, let it pass for me. I don't want to have to walk on this road. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. Jesus at any moment could have called down a legion of angels and been out of there. Never would have had to have died for us. Never would have had to suffer for us. But his mindset that he is teaching us, he thought more highly of us than he did of himself. He had a big picture in mind. That's where we're supposed to be. Have those conversations. When we as individuals walk in obedience to the word, ultimately we will be blessed. We may go through some uncomfortable and difficult times due to the disobedience of some of the body, but we will ultimately be blessed. Listen to this. You remember a fellow by the name of Elijah, right? He suffered from others' behaviors. Remember Ahab and Jezebel? They brought sin. They brought in all kinds of bad stuff. I just read a book. Wasn't that a book that you gave me, Sue, that we talked about? No, that was, that was uh, Jonathan Kahn preaching on it. That's what it was. Oh, it's very, very, very revealing. Very revealing.
What they were doing was continuous sin that they brought into the people of Israel. And in this, it caused everybody to suffer. It didn't rain for a very long time. How long was it? Three and a half years. Can you imagine no water falling for three and a half years? If it's not going to do that this year, Carson, I ain't putting no garden out because I'm wasting my time and my money. I'll try to talk you into it too. That means there's no food. That means there's no water. That means all these things are, are, we're being shorted of and he was being suffering because of the actions of some. Others were getting wrapped up into this sin and it was growing bigger and bigger within the camp of Israel and it was costing something. But you want to know what happened? He didn't let up. He held on to what God wanted. And whenever he did that, you know, while he was doing that, you remember ravens had to bring him bread and meat. Would you like to have a raven come to your table carrying you a piece of meat and some bread and drop it down so you can eat it? I ain't doing that. You get hungry enough, you will. Be careful what you say you won't do. You might get to find out what you will do. But that's how bad that it was. But ultimately, ultimately he was blessed. You see, he hung on to God. He hung on to God and what happened was he brought about some change in the world. He brought about some change to these people. He brought about change and it caused it to rain. And not only when it rained was the whole nation blessed, but he was blessed. Do you see the picture that's being painted this morning? Your actions matter to the people that are around you. I hope you get it. I hope you get it. I'll discuss anything you want to discuss. But your actions have, have, a, have something to do. Look at the people of Israel as they're in the desert coming from Egypt and looking for the promised land. Numbers 25 and 1. I'll tell you why I do what I do here in just a moment. I'll tell you why you should be doing what you should be doing in just a moment. Numbers chapter 25 and verse 1 says, Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to, sac to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal Peor and look at this, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Remember I showed you last week the anger of the Lord was against the whole people because of Achan. That bunch of them suffered because of one dude messing up. Bringing stuff into the camp. And not until it was dealt with did the Lord's anger be lifted from them. Okay, we're looking at something else now. The anger was aroused against them. You see, it was the disobedience of some that brought judgment to the entire congregation. Numbers 10, 25, let's go to verse 4. And then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. They had an action to do in order for the fierce anger of the Lord to turn away. What was it? Find out who it is Take them out and hang them in front of everybody in the hot sun. This needs to be done. That's what he told them to do. Let's go down to verse 6. 
And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You've got to understand, there was a plague that had hit these people because of this sin. He told them not to get outside of their people. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he arose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both, them, both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Not everybody was hooking up with a Moabite woman. Not everybody was worshiping the Moabite gods. But what the ones that were was affecting the entire people. People that had nothing to do with it were having to deal with the junk. And God said, I look at you as a whole. You are an individual. You do have a, a personal relationship with Jesus. Don't get me wrong. It is so important. But you've got to understand that sitting here as a body of believers, as a part of the body, you affect those that are around you. And we need to get that inside of us. It's not been taught enough. Well, I don't care what they do. Let me tell you something. If they say they're a brother in Christ, to say I don't care what they do and not take the truth to them is not love at all. Is it? You might get mad at me. You might not have anything to do with me for the rest of my life, but that's okay. I pleased God because God said you needed to know. And that's what we have to do as a body of believers. Otherwise, sin can come into the camp and trouble can come into the camp. Many died and, and suffered from the actions of some because God saw them as one. Go down to verse 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel. He went in and did what needed to be done so that the Lord's wrath would be turned back. Because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel with my zeal. You see, Phineas had the passion that God had. God's passion was his passion. The good of the entire nation was what was at stake and he was the one who brought the change for the better. He was only one guy making a difference. If not you, if not me, then who? And when? Do we enjoy living in those places? Paul was the one who was passionate for God's passion for the church of, the, of Corinth. He was the one who brought the change by boldly confronting the church with truth. That's what Paul did and it cost him. He took the word of God, which is the spirit or the sword of the spirit, which would be like a javelin, and he thrusts through. You remember I told you last Sunday night about the guy that had sexual immorality? He took it and he pointed that, that javelin to it, that spear, and thrust it through. He identified it. He said what to do about it. If you go on to 2 Corinthians 2, the guy got turned around. We're doing nobody any favors by saying nothing. In fact, we're not even walking with God because he wants them to know. He loves them. He loves everybody. He wants everybody to get it. Am I right or wrong on that? Well, you can't tell them nothing they don't know. If the Holy Ghost says you tell them, I don't care if you've been there 10,000 times, you go 10,001, 10,002, 10,003. Because he's the Lord. He knows what he's doing. Amen? The minute we start saying, oh, God, you don't know what you're doing, I have news for you. He ain't Lord of your life no more. And you stand in a very bad place. 
You may be standing before him on the day of judgment before it's too late because I'm going to tell you, Ken will come to you and tell you. That's my job. And it's not, not that I don't love you. It's because I love you. Blood's not going to be on my hands. But well, let's go a little bit deeper here. See, Paul wasn't thinking just about himself. He was just like a Navy SEAL. He put the good of the others before his own comfort and popularity. I don't do this for a popularity contest. Neither should you be a Christian for a popular popularity contest. There's too much at stake. And there's an enemy that hates every single human being sitting here and everybody that you know. And he wants them to go to hell with him. And God says, I don't want that. So that means we've got to have those hard conversations sometimes. Phineas did the same thing. He was the agent of change. Let's go to Numbers 25, verse 12 and 13. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. Do you see that? That's what God's saying. I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now, this didn't just happen Moses' time, and he decided he'd write about it. No, it go on over. Let's go to Psalms 106 and 30. Then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. And that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. Do you see that? Do you see that? You see, God never breaks a covenant. We live in a world that people break covenants and promises all the time. God does not. Does not. That is why I will always speak truth. And yes, it is in love from this pulpit. And if you allow me in private counseling, if it comes to that, I want to be pleasing to God. I told you last week, we are the ones that set, with, set the stone, the stage for how pleased God is with us. And I will have the hard conversation with you and I'll cry with you because I know that there's victory on the other side. I know what the Bible says and the Bible says that the truth will make you free. If that's not true, then what are we doing? The truth will make you free. I do it because of that promise. That's going to give me peace. It's going to give my wife peace. It's going to give my kids peace. It's going to give generations peace. I'm going to teach them right. Do the best that I can. Love them if they stumble. Amen? Love each other if we stumble, right? Ain't that what we do? I told you this was good stuff. Is there a blessing in heeding the truths we've discovered so far, folks? Do you think so? I think so. One of the things we've discovered is what I've just shared. It's the covenant of peace that's promised, not only to us, but to our descendants. See, as long as we are the voice of change and zealous for God's ways and we're doing it in love, we're going to be okay even if others don't. We're hanging on to our Lord. Are we seeing together as a group how it is better to speak out using the word of the Spirit in love than to remain silent and watch sin spread throughout our community of believers? Would you think that would be a true statement? Isn't it better to speak out? I mean, if y'all don't want to, we're okay. Someday 
it will be Ichabod on the door. That's the warning. That's the warning. We got to want to. We got to want what God has for us. How firmly will you stand for your love, for love and truth during your short years on this earth? Just how firm will you stand? Will you lose your job over it? Will you go to prison over it? Will you be ridiculed by close people to you? Oh, I know all about that. I know all about that. By staying firm. Because we serve a mighty God. I want to leave you with one scripture, then we're going to get ready for communion. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9, and then we're going to go to 1558. This is what I want you to see. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9. God is faithful. Do you believe that today? By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's say that again. I want you to say it. God is faithful. God is faithful. Let's go to 1558. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Verse 9. God is faithful. God is faithful. Remain steadfast. Don't let the devil trip you up. He would love nothing more. He's been doing it for a long, long time. Don't let him trip you up. It's time for us to move on now. You've seen the cups up here and the pieces of bread. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about communion in the church, and they weren't doing it right. They were going through the motions. And the Bible tells us that, you know what, we do it in an unworthy manner. We're putting judgment on ourselves. We're supposed to judge ourselves. So somebody cut the lights down a little bit because I want us to have a reverent moment. That was a part of their problem. They weren't reverent to the Lord. They were reverent to themselves. It was all about feeding me and taking care of me.